0: Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. It's spring, even though, and you know, that's back and forth in our weather, never know what we're gonna expect. But in the past decade, I would say, I've really gotten very attached to spring flowers. Now, my favorite is the tulip. And if you have spent any time with me, you might know I'm a little bit obsessed with tulips. And so we've got some down. You know what's really strange? No tulips in Eden Park. We live right here by this park. They, they have daffodils, they have hyacinths, no tulips, just letting you know. But you can go downtown, Smale Park, or the zoo. Those are my favorite places. Now, I've also started to notice other spring flowers trying to broaden my horizons, but I'm a novice, so I have to take gardening friends with me, and I'm like, what's that one? What's that called? And I annoy the fire out of them, but luckily, y'all, y'all have patience with me as I point out all the flowers. So, because of my fascination, I have been aware in the news, maybe you've heard of it, the California super bloom. Who in here has heard of it? Anyone seen it on the news? Okay, so apparently this picture is just depicting the way a huge swath of land is covered in wildflowers that they all began to bloom at the same time. It's so big, you can see it from space. How cool is that? They're just an amazing wonder. And now then they say, like, people are going out and they're like, please don't trample on them. Please save the flowers. Like, everyone's excited. They want the perfect selfie in the middle of the field. And they're like, please, just stay on the path and enjoy the flowers so that they come back next year. Now, perhaps the most poignant part of this story is the reason why they're in such bloom. For four years, California has experienced drought. And if you noticed that in the news also, they had a ton of rain lately. And that was pretty tragic for different reasons. But there was beauty that came out of it. As author Andy Corbley, writing for Good News Network, described it this way. During dry times, seeds released by parent plants can't germinate due to a lack of moisture. But being the miracle of nature which seeds are, They lay dormant season after season until a refreshing and continuous rain causes several years worth of seed to sprout up all at once. So there was a hardship of drought and then there was the overwhelming rain, but yet beauty came out. Beauty came out. So when we hear this phrase, the miracle of nature, maybe you've heard it describe all kinds of things, and that's true. That God's miracles do show up in beauty, in our nature. And sometimes it's frightening. Sometimes it's overwhelming. But there's miracles that come forth. And we can find that something in our lives, at times, we experience drought. And at times, we experience downpour. And yet we cling to something, to something to get us through. We're in our study of Exodus And we continue to see the Lord God bring life for his people. And it's come through some interesting acts of nature along the way. If you recall, we've heard the way God has been moving and big signs and wonders. The Exodus is the second book in the Bible, and it means the road out of. And God's people were slaves for 430 years in Egypt. And they were being oppressed. And God kept saying, I will deliver you. And a couple weeks ago, we read with joy, they finally are free. And they're headed on their journey out. And it's still going to be a little bit of a journey. But when the Lord enacted his rescue plan, he did move through nature and it was in some frightening ways. We learned about the 10 plagues where there was hail and frogs, locusts, and darkness. And God moved through miracles of nature in order to get the attention of Pharaoh. Finally, Pharaoh let the people go. And today, they encounter another act of nature. There's a large body of water that's going to feel like a barrier for the Israelite people. But God... He's already brought them out of the drought, and now he's going to bring them through the water. So let's read in Exodus. We're going to be at the end of chapter 13 into chapter 14 today. It's page 49. If you grab a blue Bible in the pews, turn to a device, or we're going to have the words on screen. Let me read for us starting in verse 17 of Exodus 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert, the desert road toward the Red Sea. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. By night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Recall, when we see Lord in all caps in our scripture, in our Bible, in our translations, that is the translation of Yahweh. We've talked about that God introduced himself, reintroduced himself to Moses and the people and said, That's my name. You can call me Yahweh, which means I am, I will be. And he tries to reassure the people each time to remember, I am. You can trust in me. And so here, Yahweh told Moses and told the people, you know, he's like, he didn't really want them to be discouraged. When you come out of slavery, you're not immediately wanting to fight. You know, you're still, you're traumatized, you're recovering. But he knew if they went through a certain country, the Philistine, then they, there would be some issues. So he's like, just take the longer route. It's fine. We've got a plan. Now, many people, many artists, just, just Google pillar of fire or pillar of cloud. There's so much cool art out there of the way God's presence was guiding people. And I'm sure that that felt reassuring to say, we're coming out into the unknown, we're We're traumatized. We're recovering. It's just we're vulnerable right now. And so how wonderful to be like, we need, we just need to see you, God. And and sometimes we get to our lives and we're like, I just wish I could see God. And he shows up in different ways. But here for the people, he showed up and he guided them. Now, the Jewish scholar Nahum Sarna pointed out, The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of cloud fire by night, it's evidence of the divine. It's showing that God has a grand cosmic plan, he said, not just people, not just a slave rebellion and they ran free. No, the Lord was showing up in the active, dynamic presence of God in the life and history of his people. This, this meant something, these pillars. If you have a physical Bible or device open, you might notice that where it says Red Sea, they came to the Red Sea, there's a footnote there in many translations. And at the bottom, you look down and it says, or Sea of Reeds. So this is interesting. Scholars are trying to figure out which body of water exactly. Is this the Red Sea that we know of today and see on maps? Is it something else? Because there's many things that was called Sea of Reeds. And that was just something that several different bodies of water in that area were called, general term. And for those of us who like things to be precise, it might be a little frustrating. Like, why didn't you just tell me, like, point on the map, where is this? But in this ancient culture, when they retold the story again and again of God's deliverance, they used words that gave that emphasis, that strength. And so the sea of reeds that they were going to approach. They could recall that Moses, the leader, was brought out as a baby out of, out of the reeds. He was brought out of the Nile River. He was delivered. And so this importance of Yahweh as deliverer is the main message. They weren't so worried about maps. They want you to know who is seeing you through the hard times. So, we're calling it the Red Sea. We're not sure which body of water exactly or where along the way. Verse 5, now we're in chapter 14. Let's continue the journey. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. They said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Don't you love it, their services? Yes, yes, the people we were oppressing are now gone. Oh, 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 now we have to work. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. Pharaoh took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, Horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea. You might have known this was coming if you are a a fan of any of the movie versions of this story. We've got an enemy coming back after them. I freed you from slavery. Never mind. I need your free labor. American slavery has its own history of that as well. But remember the Egyptians two chapters ago. They were like, get out of our houses. We don't want the Lord to hurt us anymore because we've, you know, we've held you on as slaves. Go, go, go. And then suddenly, they realize what they've lost. And now, the economy. That was what mattered more. The Israelites, when they were taking that long route, as we discussed, somehow word got back to Pharaoh. So I guess he sent out some, some followers to make sure that the people were actually leaving. And they said, Pharaoh, they look confused out there. I I think they're lost. Maybe now it's our chance to just just guide them on back in. Guide them? No. Maybe uh, capture them again and bring them on back in. But again, uh, 1.2 million people are out there moving around. Now Yahweh, he had given, remember, grace upon grace saying, Pharaoh, you have the chance. Let the people go. Let the people go. And Pharaoh finally does something right. He, he lets people go, and now he's changing his mind again. Now there's an easy excuse of, oh, all my leaders say this would be better for my economy. Okay, let's go grab the people again. Now we said the word hardening of Pharaoh's heart. We're seeing that again. And we've discussed how sometimes it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened, Like a a passive thing. And this one shows some action that God was involved. And we talked that that was, God was taking the anger and the hatred in Pharaoh's heart and just saying, I want to let you feel that back on yourself. I want you to feel the way that you're projecting this out into the world. And so, Pharaoh, his intent to bring more harm to the Israelites, he was going to feel the consequences. Let's keep reading. Moses answered the people, "Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you; you need only be still." So here, Moses is starting to hear these voices coming up out of all these people that they're they're really struggling. And we could look now and say that's probably a reaction to trauma. You know, like suddenly it's like, I've only known this. My whole life I've only known slavery. And and now there's unknown. And and maybe back then, maybe that was better. They're kind of like gaslighting their own selves. You know, like, oh, remember when we were just serving the Egyptians? No. Remember when they were trying to kill you and oppress you and, and make it really hard on you? But suddenly, it's like the phrase the devil that you know is better than the devil you don't know? Like what is out here is so unknown that maybe it's better to just run back to the security of, at least I know what I'm facing back there, right? I think that happens in all of our lives. But recall, Yahweh, every time he says his name, he speaks to the people, Yahweh, I am the one who will deliver you. Verse 15, then Yahweh said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through on dry ground. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved and stood behind them coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so that the two didn't go near each other all night long. Then Moses stretched his hand out over the sea. I'm going to have my visual, my staff, right? He stretches out, right? That's how we see in the pictures. He stretches out all night. The Lord drove the sea back. With a strong east wind, and it turned into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. I just love that visual that that cloud, that pillar that was leading them, suddenly was protecting them from behind, stood between them, the presence of God saying, I will protect you as they move forward. And I can't, I just, I always imagine it. Like I hear it and I think about it and I forget it happened at night. I mean, that's even more eerie. I think the screenshot from the Prince of Egypt kind of gives it, it's dark, but I hope you get that visual. It's like, ooh, it's dark out. And what if, the, if there's some giant fish watching you walk through? Like it's kind of, it's kind of gives you this, this creepy sense. Like this is the unknown that they're stepping into. It just really gives you that visual. But God pulled back the water on either side. And even though it was unknown, God says, I'm making a way, the road out. And it looks unfamiliar, and no one's ever done this. And I know you can't see forward, but one step at a time, you can walk through. Yahweh was delivering. He was delivering them. And it wasn't like they imagined and maybe the timing wasn't as they prayed, but Yahweh says, I am, I will be, just keep going. Verse 23 the Egyptians pursued them. All of Pharaoh's horses and chariots followed them into the sea. So they got onto that dry ground too. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And the Lord said, stretch out your hand over the sea, Moses, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. So Moses did. And at daybreak, the sea went back into place. And the Egyptians were fleeing, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back, the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army that Pharaoh had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Israelites suddenly remembered when everything went awry. They're like, oh yeah, this was that God of theirs, that powerful God. We've encountered him before, and they thought they could face him. But they forgot how powerful God was, and it's too late. They, they tried to leave the sea, and it was too late. Notice that they were held accountable for trying to re-enslave God's people. God had kept saying, Let them go, let them be, and you will be fine. And yet this was their choice. Notice the Israelites, it says at the end, they put their trust in God. And I'm when I first read that, I'm like, okay, you've already had plague after plague. Didn't you put your trust in God all these other times? And then I'm like, oh, remember me when I need those reminders to put my trust in God again and again? Because when the next big thing happens, you're like, God delivered me once, and then something new is happening. So then you have to choose to trust all over again for another deliverance. And that's what our lives are. Sometimes it's day after day, deliverance after deliverance that we need from God. And notice The power of this water, this body of water, this nature, this overwhelming Red Sea. To Israel, it was a way through. It was salvation through the water. To Egypt, it was a grave. And that might make your minds think of the New Testament and baptism and how Jesus was baptized, and how people in the first century church were baptized, and how even today, people are baptized. Here at Echo, we practice baptism. We choose to say, if if you're going to follow Jesus, there's this beautiful ceremony where you go under the water and back out. And there's so many things that you can think of in that moment. Choosing to align yourself with the death and the resurrection of Jesus into the watery grave and back out. You could be thinking about dying to all that sin and that pain and choosing new life and hope and resurrection in Jesus. And I've never really thought about it till this week. But you could also just think of this Red Sea moment where all the oppression that you feel, that you've, the pain that you've carried is left in that water, submerged. But out of it is freedom. If you are interested in hearing more about baptism, if you don't know anything about it, come talk to me afterwards. Let's talk about what that means. So far in this journey of Exodus... There's been a lot of stuff. <laughs> Big things have happened. Now, some of the things we can connect to in our modern day lives, oppression, slavery, sadly, we can understand. We can see the world and we understand that that pain still happens. We can relate to a massive plague affecting our lives, causing us sickness, keeping us apart. But today, today, The Red Sea, that's a miracle. And by definition, that defies logic and nature, and it's baffling and wondrous, but to be honest, some days that's harder to believe in than others. It's okay, we can be honest about that. We're asked to believe in a God who is powerful and says, I am. He's angry at oppression, but he also describes himself as a mother Caring for a child is the way he loves his people. We're asked to trust in a God who is ripping apart water, but also allowed his own body to be ripped apart on a cross. We're asked to trust in a God who wants to bring life out of death and that death in Egypt and death in a tomb is not get the final word. This Red Sea crossing is makes us think of the resurrection of Jesus. They're both death to life, and they're both we want to grasp onto them, and yet some days that's hard. So maybe, maybe we're reminded of the miracles around us in order to trust in the miracles written in the pages of our Bible. When we remember that Yahweh still delivers from death into life. When we glimpse the beauty of those spring blooms out of a hard, cold ground, out of drought, that's a Red Sea moment. If you have seen a baby born from the womb into the world, that is a Red Sea moment. When you've watched someone you love... Ring a bell that the chemo is over and cancer is in remission, that's a Red Sea moment. When a loved one steps out of a car wreck and they can still walk and breathe and move, that's a Red Sea miracle. If you get a phone call from a family member who hasn't spoken to you in years, that's a Red Sea miracle you battle darkness, if you've been hurt by disease, if you just feel like the world is too divided, but you have reminders of hope, that you're not alone, you get texts and a phone call, if you sit in the night and contemplate death, but choose life by the morning, that's Red Sea moment. When you step into this building and you think, Jesus, I've given you one more chance. I don't know. And you find a bit of hope, that's a Red Sea moment. I don't want us to miss the miracles that Yahweh is still doing in our lives today because they're there. And I know I take some for granted. But I believe God is powerful enough to do miracles that I don't understand, that I can't fathom, just in the same way I'm so grateful for the miracles that I get to witness today. And I hope that gives you strength too. But no matter what, I hope that you know that there is deliverance to keep keep stepping forward. When we grapple with this truth we can look at the way the Israelites—they had two things they were told to do—and we can live it out too. Now they're kind of opposing, and it kind of made me laugh to look that they're like back to back. Verse 13 and 14 of Exodus 14 says, Moses tells the people, "Stand firm; you'll see the deliverance of the Lord. Be still." The Lord's going to fight for you. And in the very next moment, verse 15, we split them apart. I did this on purpose. But God tells Yahweh, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to move on. Are they supposed to stand still or are they supposed to move on? And so I look and I think God's deliverance requires our participation. And sometimes we are. We're just supposed to stand still and regroup And ignore the chaos around and remember, who are we trusting? Be still. And remember, it's God's power we're trusting. And then God's like, don't just stand there. Step into the miracle. Step into what I've provided for you. That path between the water, go. And you know what? I feel like most of us probably spend a lot of our lives praying and asking What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to stand here and know that you're providing or am I supposed to go and take action? Which is the right thing to do? (laughs) We're gonna keep spending the rest of our days figuring that out. But that's why we come together and we pray and we ask God and we read scripture and we sing our prayers to God and we talk to each other here as other Jesus followers and we say, will you help me discern? So many of us have had conversations, I've had with you, you've had with me, and we're trying to ask God, "Yes, I want to be still in your presence." No, is it is it time for me to step and move on? I believe that Yahweh, who does great miracles, will also answer that prayer. And it's not finite, there's no formula that says be still for five months and then step away from your pain. All of our situations are different. Every time you need deliverance, it's going to be different. But that's why we step together, because God doesn't just want us to have personal deliverance as a community of believers. Here, Following Jesus in this world, we need to pray together. How are we being still and trusting in the right power? And also, how are we doing what we can with our resources, with our talents, with our skills, and stepping into the path he has for us? So it's a big question mark. There's no gentle ending to this sermon. We're going to keep stepping into questions together, but let's do that as a community. Let's trust that there is deliverance, that there are miracles that we can see, and let's pray and step into that together. Will you pray with me now? Yahweh, thank you for being big and amazing and doing marvelous things in our world. Thank you for promising deliverance because we feel the brokenness very badly on many days. And open our eyes to see and ears to hear when it's time to rest and be still in your presence and when it's time to step into what you have for us. Help us to trust in you and put aside our fear and and step anyway. We thank you for bringing us together as a church family that we don't have to take this journey alone. We ask that you will give us reminders of your presence on the days where we just don't know. Show up in our lives, Lord. We ask you and we trust that you will answer us. We bring these things to you through Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.